the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There's never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, this is the 50th anniversary of Title IX, and who better to celebrate with than the incomparable, the one and only, the Hall of Famer, Leslie Visser. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. So the day we are recording this is the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And who better to talk to than the great Leslie Visser, who has been covering sports for so long with the Boston Globe and CBS. And we could go on and on with all of the firsts that Leslie Visser has accomplished. And I'm just uh, happy that she's with me today. Friend, how are you? This is so much fun already. I cannot wait to talk to you and... I think you've been on for like um, a couple months maybe now, but people... Um, uh, about a three weeks. <laughs> is, that, oh, is that it? No. Uh, it's been quite, maybe I a was month. on with Bob Costas and he was talking about how he was your inaugural guest maybe and how he felt, yes, he felt he pressure like I better do well or the whole thing will just collapse. <laughs> <laughs> well, so far we're still, we're staying above water. So we're happy about that. Uh, there are a gazillion things that you and I could talk about today. I just want to start by reading this. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Accept that, and then there goes on. Title IX, what's your first memory of that title IX that we always see? Uh, So many fascinating uh, elements to it. Number one, do you notice the word sports never appears in those 37 words? And yet that was the application of it. But uh, I remember I I was in college before Title IX. Actually, my whole career is a product of the women's movement from which amendments like Title IX were pushed forward. But I was in college. I was a sophomore. And when it was enacted, we were just thrilled. No one understood exactly how it was going to come to this fruition with pro leagues for women. Uh, You know, we'd always had, what, gymnastics, uh, tennis, but to have things. Figure skating. Yeah, exactly. Figure skating. Yes, exactly. All the individual sports. America didn't for quite a long time embrace team sports for women. But uh, once we saw those Title IX babies at the 96 Olympics where, what do we get, gold in basketball, soccer, softball, you know, we were just, we were it, that um, I think you really, you saw that um, 
women were now being protected. They were a protected status under an educational amendment, and we needed government support for it. And it's just, uh, you know, it's, I mean, I always say ground gained is not ground secured. So of course, we still have a distance to go, but it absolutely was transformative legislation. It was. And I remember my dad, you know, he had his oldest was a boy who was a terrific athlete. And then he had the three of us daughters and he was always our basketball coach. And he was so gleeful about this thing because he felt like his daughters were going to get this fair shake. He was sort of um, one of those early dads who really wanted his daughters to to enjoy sports, have fun. Uh, I was never a great athlete. Clearly, I'm better talking about it than I am actually participating. But I participated, and I think my dad really wanted us to enjoy that team sport um, experience that my brother had always had. So that's sort of the recollection that I have of it. You said there's still a long way to go. Where would you want to start? What do you want to see next? Oh, that's a great question. I Well, there still isn't uh, 100% compliance. There's nowhere near 100% compliance. And, you know, we saw, what was it, just last year at the Women's Final Four, where the video of the women's basketball, uh, they weren't nearly, did not have the weights or the um, the excellent trainers or the gym facilities. Oh, all that kind of facilities that the yes. men's final Which four is gets. supposed to be what yeah. Title IX is. It's uh, equal under the law. But uh, I think the next example, or I hope the next example is financial, not just the equal salaries, which we've just seen with the soccer, but uh, for instance, the the name of the team, the soccer team in LA, the Angels, right? FC Angels. Now they are owned in part, the equity partners are Jennifer Aniston, are Jennifer Garner, Serena. So that's what I think it's going to be. The next one has got to be uh, financial investment by women for women. Now, again, this is a federal statute, so you can't necessarily force private companies to to do what you can expect the government to do, right? So do you think this is just going to be an organic process? Yeah, I do. I think we've, saw, we've seen it in the WNBA. There have been now uh, female financial investors. And, you know, you're 100% right. The, the only government involvement now is actually the Office of Civil Rights oversees the compliance of Title IX. Like a lot of people think it's the NCA. Thank God it's not. But <laughs> <laughs> do you know one time, and I don't know if you're his friend, but he speaks highly of you, Mark Cuban. Is he a buddy of yours? Yes. yes. He's not, we're well, not buddies. He, but he speaks highly of you. And he told me, I just love Mark Cuban. He said that one time he tried to buy the Big Ten. <laughs> Can you imagine? Because, oh my God. Interesting. Because he said that, you know, yeah. it was just so woefully mismanaged by the NCAA that he said, yeah. I tried to buy the Big Ten. So who knows, you know, where college athletics will go. Listen, it's going in a lot of different directions right now with the transfer portal and the NIL name, image, and likeness, the Nell. Yes, it's it's really, really changing to the chagrin of a lot of people. I, let's take this tangent. You and I both have covered the Final Four. We both covered college sports. You far longer than I did. So you saw the purity of this, the Final Four. It was just this unbelievable celebration of amateur sports, right? The direction it's taking. How do you how do you feel about it? 
I feel it was inevitable. And the NCAA, starting yeah. with the Ed O'Bannon case, they lost every single challenge, yes. every single challenge, yeah. all the way up to the Supreme Court. And it's restraint of trade. How can you say that uh, somebody that a coach makes six million dollars and they sell jerseys with Zion Williamson on the back and he doesn't make a cent. So I think the NCAA probably should have recognized this and and gotten a handle on it. Um, What I do lament, having gone to uh, a Catholic college, Boston College, I mean, it's, um, you know, we're okay in sports, you know, we do well, but we're not. But I, I don't think Catholic colleges as a rule have the kind of money that the state schools have, you know, like the SEC schools. So I wonder if you're going yeah. to see a Butler, a Villanova do as well if the other schools are recruiting. You know, one school offers you, what was it, Oscar Shibway this year uh, decided not to go in the NBA draft. He went back to Kentucky for $3 million. So <laughs> I don't know. That is crazy. Mark it yeah. will bear. It, it, yeah, and it will. And and so, you know, this is capitalism on the college level. But you're right. It, it's been so fun to watch those, you know, random schools, like you said, a Butler, a Marquette, whoever it is, come up and suddenly win a game you didn't expect. Can they even have that chance anymore? Um, it, the good news is, at least in basketball, the rosters are smaller so it's not like you can stockpile 25 kids on a basketball team. They've got to go somewhere else. But I think you're right that the these the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC are going to be so powerful that these smaller conferences are going to they're going to have a tough time competing. Yeah, you just have to. Uh, you saw the SEC coming even you know before um, you didn't do as much basketball, but you've seen, here comes Auburn, always Kentucky, but those SEC schools, they have all kinds of money, Texas A&M, the oil money that's down there. So yeah, college sports is is in for a real ride. It's like um, every business in this country is in for a ride. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's a bit of a rocky one. Leslie Visser is our guest. We are recording this the day of the 50th anniversary of Title IX. One of the interesting developments of late that we're going to talk about next is the transgender athletes. Uh, we saw this with Leah Thomas in the swimming pool, and we're going to talk about how this is impacting women. And, and is this where Title IX was meant to go? We'll talk about that next. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, you're looking to put something on the grill. You go to the store and you're looking for grass-fed beef. Did you know that 85% of grass-fed beef in stores and online is imported? 
from overseas. I didn't know that until recently. So you may be paying a premium price for low quality foreign meat. Here's two words for you. Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers guarantees 100% American meat delivered to your door at a great price. Good Ranchers helps you solve this meat problem and lets you support American farms and ranches with every single purchase. You can shop Good Ranchers for ribeyes, T-bones, chicken, salmon, and more, and their beef earns the highest USDA grade possible. Good Ranchers sells 100% meat and ships it straight to your door. And right now they're giving away two free 18-ounce prime center-cut ribeyes to every person that uses my code TAFOYA. That's T-A-F-O-Y-A. You can make a one-time purchase or just go ahead and subscribe. You'll save 25 bucks a box. Plus, like I said earlier, you'll get two free 18-ounce boneless ribeyes. These things are restaurant quality. Most people would charge you 50 or 60 bucks a piece. So there's a limited stock on this. First come, first serve, and you want to be first when it comes to good ranchers. They deliver the best of American farms and ranches to your door. Make sure you take time today, right now. Go to goodranchers.com slash Tafoya or use my code Tafoya at checkout, T-A-F-O-Y-A. Start the summer off right with Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. We are back with the great Leslie Visser, Hall of Famer. She's just Google her sometime if you're not familiar with her many yeah, accolades. And a lot and of bad hairdos. I, I always say this to Michelle. Oh, Seriously, look at that hair. Don't whip it around just to torture me. I'm not I so- saw you ducked your head and it all whipped around. <laughs> oh, goodness. You're, you will crack me up. Okay. So. You know, look, I I covered swimming at the past two Olympic Games in Rio and Tokyo and covered the nationals and worlds. And you see athletes like Katie Ledecky. And and when Katie Ledecky was on the deck, you thought, okay, who's coming in second? You know, it's just who's coming in second. And then you saw the great men. And then we had this moment where a transgender athlete, male to female, decides to join the women's team at Penn State. And there was a lot of consternation about this, Leslie. I disagreed with this adamantly because you are born a male, you are born with inherent advantages musculoskeletally, and if you wait until college to begin transitioning, whether it's with hormone therapy or whatever, you've still had years of advantage, physical advantage over women. That's why we have women versus men in the pool. We've got two distinct categories of swimmers. What did you think about the Leah Thomas story? You know, one great thing about your podcast, A, you ask very provocative questions of all your guests, and B, people have time to discuss it. Like you and I will be able to bat this back and forth, you know, not just 20 seconds and we'll go to commercial. Uh, Right now, I feel we don't have enough data. And the data we do have is um, supportive of what you're saying. There's a reason that Martina and Chris Evert and Donna Deverona and Nancy Hogshead, people who have existed at the highest levels of their sport, feel that we need to know more because um, it's not People are hating on Leah Thomas, and that's so unfair. It's not Leah Thomas. It's the policy that needs to be examined. Correct. And and, and, and let's make this really, really clear. 
Correct. I am not hating on Leah Thomas. I hope she finds her best life. I support her as a human being. What I don't support is her getting on the podium ahead of women who have been training their whole lives to be the best among their category losing to a biological man. Well, it's the point that you made is the point that has to be examined more about the effects of puberty, that Leah Thomas was the 490th ranked male, and now she won an NCAA title. Uh, She swam for Penn as a male for three years. Penn. I said Penn State. Oh, it's okay. University of Pennsylvania. And then as a woman, she won an NCAA title. So it it is not about Leah. It's about what is the effect, which you alluded to, that uh, if you've gone through puberty, most data shows so far that your lung capacity can be bigger, you are taller, you are uh, bone density. So uh, Donna Deverona's position, which makes some sense to me, is that um, there are some advantages that cannot be mitigated just by lowering your testosterone or mitigating your testosterone, that your lung capacity, your height, your bone density, those are already baked into you after puberty. Now they're saying, well, maybe like the IOC now, or, or um, what is the Federation? FINA. That, Fina, that they yeah. are now changing their policy to that uh, possibly no one who has transgendered after the age of 12, which, you know, we don't want eight-year-olds um, doing this. No. So it just has to be examined. You probably saw where Chris Everett, friend of both of ours, Chris um, said that she played Renee Richards when Renee was so much older. She was 47, I think, at that U.S. Open. And Chris was number one in the world. And Chris said, it took everything I had to beat her. So we mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. we need to know Her- more. Yeah. For people who don't remember, Renee Richards transitioned from male to female and then played Chris Everett. I I just, I think we, we can say that Title IX came into being to, to protect and promote women in, in their own way, in their own paths and, and give them equality and equal access to opportunity. And so here we are championing biological women on the one hand, and then now saying some, in some cases saying, well, you know what, this guy was 400 plus plus in the men. He decided to go compete against the women. I just, to me on the face of it, I just don't see that as fair. And again, I have nothing against Leah Thomas. What I have a problem with is the policy that said that she could go compete against biological women. And we're seeing this in other sports. We've seen uh, it in high school track and field. We've seen it in professional biking, uh, cycling. We've seen it. So people who say, oh, this is so minor. Don't worry about it. It's not going to affect that many people. But if you're the one who's been training your entire life to make the podium and you are denied because of a, and I think it's a socially progressive sort of activist point of view to say, hey, every, you know, let's let the transgenders compete against the women. I think we we need to be open and honest about it. It is not homophobic to say this. I've seen plenty of other Olympic athletes. You mentioned a handful. I've seen many, and I've talked to some off the record who are afraid to speak on the record, which is a shame, but they are, um, who are adamantly against this. They think this is crazy. And one of the people I talked to was an Olympic swimmer, a medalist, uh, 
just an incredibly open, loving human being who just doesn't see this as being fair to women. Well, I think people are making the mistake. It's not a moral issue. It's a biological issue. It's not a prejudiced platform. It's what... Why are there different uh, classes in boxing? Because a featherweight can't challenge a heavyweight. So there are, we do have classifications all through sports. And like you say, Title IX protected and recognized that women needed their own classifications. And we're not talking about... uh, elements that aren't biological. We're not talking about going to medical school or law school. We're talking about something where your biology can help determine uh, the degree to which you are successful. Right, right. I I think it is a really interesting issue and it's going to be, uh, like you said, there there needs to be more data, of course. And, And I think, but I think to label someone a homophobe for disagreeing with this decision by the NCAA to let Leah Thomas swim is totally unfair when you consider that so many of these swimmers are sitting there going, I, I, you need to put yourself in their, in their swimsuits, well, <laughs> if you will, for lack of a I better I think you term. need not to be, everything's a label now. Like you and I are going to get whacked for yeah. this, you know, because I feel I that we are educated opinionists. Um, I don't say things lightly or carelessly, but it doesn't matter. Everything's right. a label and everything's a gotcha. And, um, but it, it, as long as, as you are very much true to yourself as I am to myself, then, you know, I'm not, yeah, you I'm not fearful of saying what I believe I know. That that's what I love about you, Leslie. And that's the kind of guest I like to have on this show is someone who believes in their values and and what they've learned and has educated themselves and is speaking from a a, a platform of what I like to call sanity of just of of thoughtfulness and there are no labels on this show I don't want to do that I would never do that to anyone it's been done to me enough and and I'm sure you felt it in in your life as well so no we don't do that but I I do think there is a rational conversation to be had here and I saw someone on Twitter say that this decision by FINA would result in more people drowning <laughs> because... Oh, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't laugh. It was unfair. It was unfair. If you're not going to let these people compete, then they might not learn to swim and therefore they might drown. And I mean, that's just, well, come on. Do you think there that, could be a, a discussion that there could be an open category? I think that's what Martina right. yes. has. Um, that's That's one of her possibilities that uh, until or maybe after we determine what are the biological advantages, what do they exist, where everybody can come to the table and say, um, maybe we just have to have, just as we do have all these other classifications, maybe we'll have an open classification. Right. You, You use the boxing example. I love that one. And the other one is when you're a kid and you're playing Pop Warner football if you're a certain weight, you can't play with the skinnier kids. You got to go play up a weight because it's it's not fair competition at that point. So it is worth the discussion. I have so much I want to talk to Leslie Visser about. This is so fun. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break. And then we're going to talk a little bit about her career. And I remember the first time I met her in person and my eyes were like, oh, it's Leslie Visser. Back with the great Leslie Visser after this. You know, folks, since November of last year, the stock market has plummeted. 
but gold, that's another story. It's been on the rise. Gas prices are a joke. The stock market is so volatile, you, you get dizzy. Inflation is even worse than it was a year ago. And now we've got this war between Russia and Ukraine that could spread. We hope it doesn't. The bottom line is the markets don't like instability. But the good news is you have options because gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust when investing in silver and gold. You need an investment that's going to protect your wealth and your retirement. Call Legacy Precious Metals today. Be proactive while you still can. I, I hate to remind you about 2008, but remember that those who invested in gold saw huge gains and other people simply lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all your options. I mean, what have you got to lose by just calling them, asking questions? What can they do for you? You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. All right, Leslie, you've had so many firsts. You were the first woman inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, that's just one of many. Which is your favorite? Which is the most meaningful to you? Uh, oh, gosh, let's see. Um, one that people may not think. Yeah, yeah I was overwhelmed at the, um, at the Hall of Fame. Because I was just a kid, just mm -hmm. like you. I just love sports. I, I went to one professional game as a kid, and it was the AFL. It was the old Patriots against the Raiders, which is kind of ironic. You know, that stripe, that stripe ball going through the air. And the Patriots then were nomadic. They didn't even have a home. They played at Harvard, at Boston College. This game was at Fenway, and it was at night because they, they just didn't have a place, you know. And the Giants used to come into Boston on TV. So uh, it was, but I just, I loved sports and I loved it because um, I think it's the great meritocracy, maybe being female, you know, and always having to be on the cusp of, of some changes, some sociological changes. But I always felt that sports, it doesn't matter where your mother went to college or how much money your father has, you know, do you hit the jumper? Do you sink the putt? It's right there. It's there in the box score. So I love that. But ironically, the greatest assignment or professional opportunity that I ever had, I think, was when Ted Shaker did. Ted hire you at CBS, or were you after Ted? No, no, Rick Gentile, Rick Gentile hired me. Great guy. Um, but Ted sent me to the fall of the Berlin Wall, and it was profound on so many journalistic levels and societal society. It was, you know, one of the stories of the century, and to no be question. there and you know, to see people who walked for days from Potsdam and Dresden just to taste freedom through the Brandenburg Gate, it was overwhelming. And personally, my father, my family's not Jewish, but my dad grew up in Amsterdam under the Nazi occupation. So it was profound for me. We were never allowed to complain about living in the United States. <laughs> You and me both, my dad, having been the son of immigrants who started in Spain, came down through Peru, you name it, you right. We were we were taught we lived in the greatest country on God's green earth. And I still I still believe it, with our faults included. 
uh, there's just so much freedom. That's so interesting that Ted would send you. Was it because of your dad's relationship to the whole that whole Nazi experience or what, why did no, he send he, you? I never talked about, um, my family moved all the time as a kid and I really didn't. Um, my mother, the English teacher was the one who raised me. I'm really a writer at heart. That's what I wanted to be a sports writer. But, um, Ted thought that there was a story there, which there was about, um, how sports would change in East Germany. Because remember, Katerina Witt was the beautiful face of socialism and she really lived a Western existence. You know, she lived, her apartment Mm -hmm. was right next to the Berlin wall on East Germany. But, um, you know, obviously she competed in the West and she was the, you know, the Stasi didn't bother her. But of course, remember they, there was all the, the athletes, I think East Germany went from having like four gold medals in the Summer Olympics to 100 or something. The East Germans had had that doping system, and right. we got to go through. CBS, a camera crew, we went through Checkpoint Charlie, and going from West Berlin, from Germany to East Berlin, it was like going from color to black and white. I mean, the the toilet paper was like sandpaper. The people were huddled, and they were only a half a mile away from the people in their family. And it just showed, you know, it was it was really important when Ronald Reagan said, tear down this wall, and that in October of 89, it did come down. So I think Ted wanted, and we got a story on how sports might change. That is so cool. I mean, that is what an experience. Uh, just, just amazing. So Becoming the first female sideline reporter. What was that like for you? I, I you mean, you paved the way for people like me. So I didn't have to be first because you were first. So you made it, you opened the floodgates as it were. And I just wonder what kind of pressure you felt taking that step. Oh, thanks for asking. And thank you for being a worthy successor. Uh, it, um, yeah. You know what? It was, I had no role model. So a million things I just didn't know. The very first uh, sideline I was on uh, was the iconic Celtic Laker NBA final in 84. I mean, which was ridiculous, right? It still goes down as one of the, you know, the seven game. It it was crazy, right? From the form. It gives me chills thinking about it. Remember when Bird, he couldn't even say that now. Remember when Bird after game three said we're playing like sissies. And then in game four (laughs) was when uh, McHale clothesline Rambus, which back then that was a two shot foul. Now we'd be like thrown out of the league. But um, I didn't know. Was I supposed to wear low heels? I mean, uh, they had no bathrooms, you know, at all. So I remember, uh, you know, I'd get on the field at NFL games and I'd be there for six hours, eight hours, whatever. Yeah. You also. Yeah. But there was no place to get warm. There was no bathroom. So it was just, but I I was so happy to be doing what I wanted to do that I just had an attitude Mm -hmm. of gratitude. Your mom was a big proponent and source of encouragement for you. And there's a line that you talk about that she gave you that it's you. you Thank you. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it changed my life. Uh, As I said, my family moved quite a bit. And we were living in Cincinnati when I was 10 years old. And my mom, who'd been a teacher, 
said to me, you know, we were, I remember we were standing on a corner in downtown Cincinnati going to Shillitoe's to get me a sleeping bag for um, sleepaways. And uh, she said, <laughs> you know, what do you think you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a sports writer, which, of course, the job didn't exist for women. And instead of saying, oh, you can't do that, girls don't do that, you know, be a teacher, a nurse, a domestic, a secretary, she said to me, um, that's great. Sometimes you have to cross when it says don't walk. I love that. I love that. I just, I really do. And so you crossed Mm -hmm. and the don't walk sign was erased for all of us. And I, I, it's so important for people to know um, that, because I think now, you know, all the the babies, as we would call them in the industry, the young people probably take it for granted that there had to be a first for women in, in this industry and take for granted the fact that there was a lot attached to that, you know, and, and, and pressure. Was there ever a moment where you second guessed yourself or questioned what you were doing. Uh, No, but I have a lot of scar tissue that I tried just not to make Mm, public. You know, I had some really humiliating moments. I, maybe, you know, this too. Uh, I always say that people can be learned and educated about something, but nobody teaches you how to be humiliated. Like I remember, (laughs) you know, it's like something you can't take that course, right? Wow. What's going to happen when I'm humiliated. But um, I remember, um, you know, there were, uh, Boston Globe made me the first woman to cover the NFL's The Beat, and the Patriots co- coach was Chuck Fairbanks, and I was really nervous. I was like 20 years old, 2021, 20, and I went down to practice the Patriots training camp, and I asked Chuck Fairbanks my first question, which, of course, I practiced all the way to the Foxborough exit, and um, I said to him something about a linebacker, and the first thing he ever said to me in front of the press corps was, why don't you go to lunch with my daughter? You're about the same age. Oh my and, goodness. And I, I know I just turned bright red, but I didn't want to complain because I didn't want the NFL to say, well, see, a woman tried it, didn't really work. And I didn't want the globe to say, well, okay, we tried having a woman, which is why for the first seven years, there were no locker room provisions. I did all the interviews in right. the parking lots. But um, in some ways, I think it made me a better reporter. You had to do it all yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no question. I mean, the obstacle is the way. Tell me something for you, because one thing you are noted for is you always had the right question to the right person after a game. And uh, did you go through a number of questions and toss them out and you'd come down to that one? Or you just saw the cat in the picture and that was it? It was a combination, I think, you know, and, and I, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I prepared like crazy for every game prepared like crazy. And sometimes going in, you knew if Drew Brees was going to set some sort of amazing record, you knew that if he won the post-game interview was with Drew Brees and how you wanted to frame all of that, but you had to be ready for, did something amazing happen in the game that you absolutely have to address? And how are you going to do that? And I always avoided the yes, no questions. And I always just tried to make them interesting and not obvious. I think the thing my dad taught me in our dinnertime debates at our house growing up was you, if you ask a question, you better know what that answer is going to be. And the best question to ask is if you don't know what the answer is going to be. 
So I would go through questions and I think, oh no, he's going to say this. I know he's going to say that. Don't ask it then. You know, unless that's what you want to present to the audience, try to ask a question where you don't know what the answer is going to be. That's the most interesting question. So, but as Al, the great Al Michaels always said, you know, I'm trying to walk into the same room through a bunch of different doors. Oftentimes you're trying to get to the same information in a post game and you're just taking different entryways to get there. You know, but the you know what you did? And then I have to tell you something that Al, excuse me, I'm sorry, everybody. I have a cold that I'm getting over. No, it's a okay. good reason not to exercise. <laughs> but ah, uh, there you go. But um, I think that if people ask the question that sounds cliche-ish or ordinary, even though you are trying to get to something, if you ask a cliche-ish question, you're going to get a cliche-ish answer. So that that's what you mm-hmm. were able to do. That That's a great analogy. Walk through those different rooms, but get somebody to turn it on the side a little so that you get something mm-hmm. else from them. But I will tell you, Al Michaels' description of you is... I love, I can't do Al perfectly, but I love, love Michelle. I love Michelle. Michelle Tafoya is the cat's meow's meow. (laughs) That's what he calls you. I'm not even sure I get it, but that's what he calls you. Oh my gosh. Al is one in a million and maybe a billion. I just, he is... Talk about one of the greats, you know, and you know him well. And uh, we've been so lucky, haven't we? I, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of insane. And and it is fortune. Um, but, you know, they all, as, as Matt Damon says in those commercials, fortune favors the brave. I'm not and rich enough to be we that brave. Worked, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we worked our tails off. That's one thing I think, you know. I remember someone asking me, I, they're on the field at a game. They say, oh, did you get in this morning? I'm like, no, I've been here since Thursday night, and I've been working on this game since the last game finished. So, you know, it's you don't just show up and, and stick a mic in someone's No, face. it's um, – There is so much that there's, goes in. Um, you know, there's grunt work. You're not going to get to the levels that we've got. I mean, Al still spends hours on his boards. By the way, Al Michaels, yep. maybe the the least phony person in the history of our business, right? And he, yep. can yep. I share a story that, um, okay, yes. Al, he probably, he won't, he will not deny this. Okay, so now I'm really nervous. We're doing the World Series. It's Tim McCarver, Al and myself. It's the um, uh, Atlanta Cleveland Series. And so after the first game, I get, you know, Al has, you know, the, the limousine, he's got the Johnny Walker for himself and Tim McCarver and I are on our own. Right. (laughs) But, but everyone everyone loves Al. So, um, we all, we get in the limousine and, um, I say, um, wow, Maddox really had great stuff. And Al looks at me and he says, Lizzie, 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 after the game, we don't talk baseball. We rip people. (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh that's perfect that and and you know what because al understood that you know after the game there was nothing more to talk about really about the game i mean you could sit there and you know but you're right those those car rides were the best to and from the game they were the best but especially from because the, the the pressure was now off your preparation was done the game was done there was nothing more you could do and but but have a drink and and, and, and laugh. laugh and have some fun and it and you know 
I don't know. I sometimes I think, you know, we always everyone always says, oh, the golden age is over, the golden age is over. And then there's another golden age. And then they say that golden age is over. But I think that, you know, you being at the forefront, at the vanguard of this profession, got to experience stuff in a way, obviously, that nobody else ever could. I was a beneficiary of that. And, you know, when people say to me, oh, you were one of the first, I'm like, no, 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 just stop right there. Stop right there. I was not, I don't feel that. I feel fortunate. I stand on the shoulders of a Leslie Visser and others, mostly of Leslie Visser. And, um, you know, so, but, but we worked so hard. And so when people come to me for advice, that is the first thing that I say. And when, women come to me for advice, Leslie, and they say, what would you tell a young woman? I'd say, stop thinking of yourself as a woman in a man's world. Stop, stop. Because some people erase that barrier for you. So now think of yourself as a journalist competing in a professional journalistic world and be the best damn journalist you can be. And, and don't put hurdles in your own way, as Amy Trask would say. Yeah, she's and she's such a force, a great fan of both of us and a good friend to both of us. Uh, I do feel that I think you need certain non-negotiables. Um, you, uh, you have to have knowledge. Knowledge is unassailable. I don't care what area of life you're in. Uh, you need knowledge. Yep. It also gives you confidence. Uh, you, you need yep. um, passion. I think like you, yeah. you had such a run of passion and now I can feel it. And every time I talk to you, you have a new passion and you're going to get it done mm-hmm. at whatever We'd make a really, wouldn't we make an interesting um, combination as a ticket? I'll, I'll be your vice president, <laughs> but we would be oh lots of gosh. opinions coming in there. It would, but we'd be so good. And we'd surround ourselves with a team of rivals, yes, like good leaders a, do and, and, you know, and accomplish great things. Ooh, Leslie. You know, that, you that really, that Doris Kearns, Kearns Goodwin book, The Team of Rivals, everybody yeah. going into politics should read that because you need to mm. know, I mean- um, how do you feel financially? I know, I think we both share we're fiscal conservatives. Uh, and you know yeah. what I lament as a, a native Bostonian that, um, you know, there was a time that Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan went to dinner three times a week on the Hill. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. happened to that, yeah. but maybe we'll get it back. I, I would like to see us get it back. I, I, again, I quote Peggy Noonan, who's writing, I generally love who said, I've never seen a country more in need of a hero than we are right now. And, you know, I, I hope we find it. Um, in the meantime, you've been a hero to me, Leslie Visser, and a good friend. And that's one of the remarkable things I want to say before we, we go, because it's a very competitive business we both were in. And the first time I met Leslie was at the Final Four. I had just gotten the job at CBS. You referenced the Ed O'Bannon case. That was sort of the year it, it, it was really boiling up. Ty said, and he hurt his hand the whole bit. Anyway, I met you there and you were so kind to me. And I was taken aback by how kind you were to me because I figured, I just assumed that you were going to look at me as, you know, mm, I don't know, as a threat, as a, co- a competitor. And you've always been so supportive and so kind. And I must tell you, that is rare. That is not, I don't get that from everyone, male or female in this business. But you've always reached out when you saw something I did that you thought was you know, exceptional or something. And you'd say, great job. And, and it was like, 
you know, uh, this little sort of angel kind of floating on my shoulder going, you done good kid. And I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate oh, that. Oh, and I appreciate, you know, and, and what is it, back at you? Probably not with the force of the Serena <laughs> forehand, but um, but back at you. And you know what? Um, you have to promise that wherever you go, wherever the path takes you, will you still send me? You have the best Christmas cards. Okay. Yes. And the last two years worth of Christmas cards have had hedgehogs yes. on them because we took no family saw- photos and we got these hedgehogs. Well, here's a good tease. There will be an addition to the hedgehog this year. I'll a penguin in Minnesota? I'm not. Okay, but I'll find out. You will find out. You'll get my (laughs) Well, thank you. You do every year. Thank you, love. Thank you, Leslie Visser, and uh, a real representative of this celebration of Title IX. Thanks for being here. This is Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. So with the economy the way that it is, which is not great. Makes you think about what is smart investing these days. I was given a gift of gold by my mom. My husband and I were gifted some gold for a wedding anniversary and we're really grateful. And I am really grateful to Charles Thorngren who grow, who joins us now from Legacy Precious Metals, a sponsor of Sideline Sanity. Charles, we appreciate you so much. You know, we're hearing more and more about how inflation ain't transitory after all, and it may be here a while. And, you know, food shelves are getting, the lines are longer. It, this is really, it's not the America I grew up in, and it's, it's worrying a lot of people. So if, if someone's thinking about investing, what do you tell them? You, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation. Investing nowadays, uh, we, we want to go back to kind of the basics, really, where diversification has always been key and and we hear it we've been told it ad nauseum you know diversify diversify and then everyone puts all their money in the stock market and wonders <laughs> why when there's a pullback they're in trouble diversity means asset class diversity as well you know some real estate um some precious metals these are the things that gives your portfolio the legs to stand through all the storms that will happen financially and, and we know that they happen they happen continuously and they recur so that's what diversity is truly meant to do. And that's why people used to talk about diversity. So when people see the value of the dollar declining or they see inflation, um, how do you get the average person like me to understand that gold can still be appreciating or that gold can protect right. against that stuff? How, how does that make sense for people? You know, the, the easiest way to look at it is if you look at gold, right? Gold is the anti-dollar investment. As a dollar gets weaker, gold gets stronger. And we know that because it takes more dollars to buy that gold, just like cars cost more now, right? Um, Anytime you have inflation, the item that you're buying costs more. The difference with gold is that it doesn't devalue. It's considered a alternative currency. Basically, when you say that I don't have complete faith that this financial system is not built on a house of cards, or I don't have complete faith in in what the current Fed is doing to fight inflation. This is where gold comes in. And this is where we see people increase their amount of gold because a diversified portfolio should have some gold regardless. We need to remember that the United States Fed says two to 3% inflation is ideal. So that means for the average saver, if your retirement account's invested, 
and it's based in dollars, that you're going to lose 60% of your purchasing power to inflation by the time you're ready to retire. And that's under the best of terms. And now we can talk about the, oh, it's transitionary. Oh, no, maybe I was wrong. Um, maybe we need to do half basis points every month for the rest of the year and then see where it's at next year. These are scary things that mm -hmm. the experts are trying to tell us that maybe we didn't have it right. And this is why people have gold and this is why it offers that protection. It's interesting. Uh, I, you know, I think people think, well, if I'm investing in gold, do I actually possess the gold in, you know, I have it in a safe? Do I have, how do you get gold? How do you keep gold? Right. And, and physical gold. I mean, this is what we do. So yes, if you're buying it outside of an IRA, we can deliver it right to your home and you can put it in your own safe. You can put it in your safety deposit box. If you don't feel comfortable with that, we do offer storage for our clients as well. Okay, so there's lots of options uh, in the IRA. It's stored for you, just like your IRA account. You don't have access to those stocks. So if you were to take funds from your IRA, you could make that investment and you'd have the retirement account invested in the precious metals as well. And it would be handled just like every other IRA account. That's really interesting. And, and now I'm going to ask you a tough one and I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm just going to be candid uh, and, and ask what I think might be coming to people's minds. Sure. If the experts in Washington are making all these mistakes or they were wrong about inflation, then they're going to look at you and say, hey, Charles, why should I trust what you're telling me and why Legacy Precious Metals is the place to go? I'm asking this in an honest sure. way because I, I, I know you want to be transparent about this stuff. So how would you Absolutely. answer that? You know, it really is. I'm not a politician. Um, <laughs> I have no desire to be a politician. I like what I do, right? I help people prepare their finances. I help people with their retirements. I help people set up their funds so that their children and their grandchildren have something that's there. This is what I do. This is what I do for uh, enjoyment. Um, uh, very big in economics. Um, um, but metals is that thing that it's an alternative asset, right? When I was a stockbroker 30 plus years ago, it was unique kind of then. And then everybody was a stockbroker and everyone had stocks and there was nothing different. There was no protection. Everyone said the same thing. To me, it didn't make sense for everyone to be doing the same thing. If we all do the same thing, then we all fall together. And we know that if you follow the government's direction, you're buying into whatever they want to sell you. Now, it used to be politics was a little different. We've gotten into a place where we can't say that anymore. It's not always for the people. It's, we see that. We see that what they're doing with the economy itself. We know that we have to have something else. And this is why we do what we do here at Legacy. And my history is, is why people should, you know, give us a call, chat with us, and see if it makes sense for them. Last thing I want to ask you about is I remember 2008 and I know a lot of people mm. do. And it, 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 you know, that was a crash and there have been other crashes, but why is it that when the economy crashes, gold has historically risen? I know you said it's sort of the anti-dollar, right? Is there a way in layman's terms to explain why that happens? It's, it's the safe place. Right. When, when there's so much risk out there and people are losing so much money, they just want safety. 
Mm-hmm. So l- let's look at inflation. We know right now we're running close to eight and a half percent. We can dig some real numbers out there and we can debate that, but we'll just take that number as it is. We'll use eight percent. That means everything costs you eight percent more this year than it did last year. And we know it's going to go higher because the Fed's already promised us a lot more interest rate raises, right, to fight inflation. But we know it's not enough. When they say things like, we'll try to raise half a basis point five times over the next six months and see where the economy's at next year, that in itself lets you know you need to find something that doesn't put your livelihood in their hands. They're they're juggling an economy and the stock market, and it was never meant to be that way. So you have to protect yourself. And this is where gold comes in because it is the anti-dollar. The weaker the dollar gets, the stronger gold gets. And, you know, 2008, I remember after it happened, um, the people that would call and try to salvage their retirement accounts. And it was a very devastating time. People would call and they would be crying that they can't retire now. They have to continue to work. They're 67 years old and their plans are gone because they lost half their value. And that's devastating. You know, but this is where those who were involved in gold, they saw gold almost double in price. It offset the losses. It offset the losses. So again, Charles is not suggesting that you put all your money in one place, no. that not even gold, but diversify your assets and precious metals is a good way to go. And legacy precious metals is the only company I trust when I talk about and do my investing in gold and silver, and you can contact them as well legacypminvestments.com legacypminvestments.com I don't know why you would waste another minute thinking about it just talk to them I mean just ask them see what your situation can can manage and handle and might require and just get some answers uh, Charles I appreciate your time thanks for this it's been very educational my pleasure my pleasure thank you Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 